The United States Army Air Force is off for Berlin. Ready for war, sir. Ready for war. The magnificence of the courage and fortitude of the Korean people defies description. Other battles were raging in the streets of Saigon. We today have concluded an agreement to end the war and bring peace with honor in Vietnam. There has been unusual American air activity in the area of the Persian Gulf. We are determined to knock out Saddam Hussein's nuclear bomb potential. Afghanistan is a war that we had to fight and we have to win. This is Veterans Chronicles. For the next hour, join our honored roster of heroic soldiers, sailors, and aviators, recalling and retelling their personal stories from World War II. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of the Second World War. To the present day. In Afghanistan and Iraq, 50 million people are now living in freedom. Now, the American Veterans Center and Radio America present Veterans Chronicles. This is Veterans Chronicles. I'm Greg Corumbus. I'm joined today by George Mendonca, a Navy veteran of World War II who is most famous and immortalized in the photograph of the sailor kissing the nurse in Times Square on VJ Day in August of 1945. And George, thank you very much for being with us. Yep. Well, as we get started here, let's build up to the point of that you became famous. Uh, talk about your decision to join the Navy and, and where you served while you were in the Navy. Well, I was born and raised here in Newport, Rhode Island. As my father was a commercial fisherman, I was raised on the water. And when the Japs hit Pearl Harbor, well... I knew sooner or later I'd have to get into the Navy because I didn't want to get stuck and be drafted in the Army, so I volunteered to win the Navy. In November of 1942. And where did you serve during the war? Well, uh, on November, I think November 13th, 19. 42, there's a naval battle there at Guadalcanal, and the cruiser got hit. And on the cruiser, the cruiser sunk, she disappeared in 35 seconds. She is gone. And on the cruiser, there was the five Sullivan brothers, and of course, they all got killed. The Juno was the name of the cruiser that sunk. So I went in the Navy in 1942, and there was a destroyer being built in San Francisco. So the President of the United States ordered that cruiser, not the cruiser, the destroyer that was being built to be named USS the Sullivans after the five brothers that just got lost. So that's the ship I served on. And in 1943, we went to the Pacific. And we was out there for a couple of years. And we operated with the carriers. Task Force 38 and Task Force 58. And before this, they sent me to quartermaster school here in Newport. And I graduated from the school, third class quartermaster. And when I got aboard the Sullivan's, 
Well, within a couple of years, I was promoted to first class. And, well, we was in every operation out there with the carrier groups from the Marshall Islands, the Carolyn Islands, Yap, Woliai, Saipan, Guam, Tinian, Iwo, Okinawa, and the Philippines. And we also hit Japan itself in Okinawa. So she was a good ship, and I was proud to serve on a ship named after the five brothers. Those were some of the fiercest battles of the Pacific Theater. Talk a little bit about how fierce the fighting was from your perspective on that ship. Yeah, well, we in our task, we had 16 aircraft carriers in Task Force 38 and also Task Force 58. I was a first-class quartermaster on the Sullivans. And my battle station, I was the helmsman. And, well, we saw the Bunker Hill got hit with suicide planes. And we was close to and we was ordered to go alongside of her, and we got close to the Bunker Hill. She, uh, a lot of the men were trapped in the fires. The Bunker Hill was all the flames. And we got close to her, the men that were trapped in the fires, they jumped overboard. We picked up a few hundred men out of the water. A lot of them were hurting bad shape. And later in the day, we met with the hospital ship, the Solus. And we put the wounded aboard the Solus later that afternoon. And the nurses on the hospital ship, and of course, they, the nurses were going right to work on these guys, and some of these guys were hurting real bad. And I remember seeing that. And then about five months after that, we're back in the States. And I come home to Newport. And my younger sister had married a Navy guy here in Newport. And he was from Long Island. Well, anyway, my new brother-in-law tells me that his parents are coming from Long Island up here to Newport to visit. And, of course, we were fishing, my family. So we gave my new brother-in-law's parents a good seafood feed while they were here. And when they came here from Long Island, when they came from Long Island, they brought their niece with them. So I met the niece. She's 21 years old, and so was I at the time. Well, anyway, I showed the niece around Newport. They were here about a week. And after the week, my new brother-in-law's parents, they went back to New Long Island, and, of course, the niece went with them. So I kept in touch with the niece by phone. And about the time that my time was running out, of course, the war was still on. I was talking to the niece in New York, and I made reservations in 
truck to fly back to the ship in San Francisco. So anyway, my last day in New York, my date and I, we were in uh, Radio City Music Hall. After a while, there was a lot of pounding on the doors uh, of Radio City Music Hall. And of course, we were in the theater. They were wondering what the hell was going on outside. Well, the theater put the lights on. They shut the, theater, the show off, and they tell the audience the Japanese have surrendered. The war's over. So we come out into Times Square, and of course there's a mob of people. Times Square was loaded. So my date and I, we went into a child's bar on on uh, Times Square. And of course I had a few drinks. Everybody was drinking. Everybody was excited, and I popped quite a few. And when I was getting time to go out to my date's house on Long Island, where her father was going to drive me to the airport late that night to go back to the ship. So we're walking out of Radio City Music Hall, and I see this nurse approaching. Well, the excitement of the war being over, the drinks I had, so I grabbed her. Grabbed her and I kissed her, thought nothing of it. Of course, it was the end of the war, so nobody was excited about me grabbing the nurse. So after the kiss, she went her way and I went mine. Did you ever say any? Did either of you say anything to each other? No, nothing, nothing. Didn't say nothing. Just she went her way and I went mine. And then, of course, I flew out that night out of New York to go back to Frisco. And I got in Frisco late that day. And, of course, Frisco was worse than New York. All the, Of course, in Frisco, there must have been a couple of hundred thousand Navy men there. When the war ended, the Army, the United States Army, moved in because of the the sailors, they were raising hell in Frisco. They were hitting the bars, and booze was flying everywhere. They were all drunk. So a few of the sailors got on the streetcars on Market Street. They got aboard the streetcars. They threw the conductors off, and they ran the streetcars down to the ferry building, down the end of their run on Market Street. Well, the sailors didn't know how to control the streetcar, so they piled them all up in a pile of junk down on the end of the tracks at the end of the run. So the next thing you know, the army was ordered into the city, and all servicemen were ordered back to their base. Well, somehow or other, when the sailors all got kicked out of the bars, well, Booze showed up on the streets, so there was liquor everywhere. That's where they made the mistake when they 
kept the sailors out of the bars. While they were in the bars, they were drinking and having a good time. But when they were kicked out into the street, they all went wacky. I'm talking with George Mendonca, U.S. Navy veteran of World War II, the sailor in the famed photo from VJ Day in Times Square. This is Veterans Chronicles. listening to Veterans Chronicles, presented by the American Veterans Center and the Radio America Network. This is Veterans Chronicles on the Radio America Network. I'm Greg Columbus talking with George Mendonca, the U.S. Navy sailor in the photo from VJ Day in Times Square. And later, we'll hear from the other half of the famed photo, Greta Friedman. George, you were just talking about returning to San Francisco. So anyway, all the service, all the Navy was ordered back to the base. And the Army took over the city of San Francisco, so I went into a clothing store. I took my uniform off and I bought a pair of slacks and a shirt. <laughs> and I went back into the bar. And, of course, I kept drinking... Well, late that day, of course, the girls out there, too, they were wacky. Well, there's a pool there on Van Ness Street. And in front of the federal building there, there's a, a fountain, like, with a statue with water shooting up in the air. Well, two dopey girls dove into the pool. And about 20 sailors dove in after them. They drowned the two girls. The two girls got killed. And on the corner of every street there at Market Street, the girls were climbing up on the statues. And the sailors were reaching up and pulling the girls down off the statues. Well, I think before it was all over, there was something like 15 girls were killed that day in San Francisco. Wow. So it was a hell of a mess. Wow. So then I started looking for my shipmates because I knew they went into the bar just off of Market Street, and I went to the bar, and I found some of my old shipmates, and there was one guy, he was bombed, and he had this young lady in tow. And there was a big clothing store there. And my buddy here from my ship, he knocked the big glass out of the window, reached in on the rack and pulled a mink coat off the rack and put it on his lady friend. So it was crazy. Well, let's talk about a couple different aspects of this. Number one, we should point out that... Uh, the woman you were with on the date, on the day that you found out the Japanese had surrendered, um, ultimately became your wife and is still your wife today. And I just read that uh, she was not bothered at all by the fact that you grabbed Greta Friedman and kissed her in Times Square, correct? No, well, it was the excitement of the whole thing. 
It didn't mean nothing. She was happy, too, about the war. Everybody was happy. When did you see yourself in that famous picture? Well, then, of course, we went back to the ship, and I got out of the Navy in early January of 46. And uh, a fellow here in Newport, a good friend of mine, his name was Francis Sylvia, in 1950, Francis Sylvia calls me up, and he said to me, uh, where was you the moment the war ended? And I said, well, I was in Times Square, New York. And he said to me, well, I know you was. Well, I said, how the hell do you know where I was? He said, well, he said, I got a Life magazine and in the picture of this magazine is a sailor kissing a nurse. This was 1980. And I says, uh, he called me up on this. So I said, well, bring that magazine over to the house. So he goes over to my house, and I looked at the magazine, and I said, God damn, it is me. When I looked at that picture, that sailor, I got the sensation that it was like looking in a mirror. I knew it was me, but I didn't remember doing it. So anyway, I started checking that picture out in the Life magazine. Well, I found a lot of proof. Scars, lumps, different stuff, my rate. I found a lot of stuff in that Life magazine that it was proven that I was the guy. So you didn't know for 35 years that that was you? Yeah, well, on the 35th anniversary of the war ending is when life came out with the magazine. Mm. And that's when I first saw the picture. I didn't remember anything about the picture. At what point did you either stake a claim? I know there was a big, uh, there were several people who thought they were the sailor, several people who thought they were the nurse. At what point did you try to make it officially known that that was, in fact, you? Well, in 1980, Life magazine came out in their magazine, and they had the picture in the magazine and the big article, and, of course, it said, uh, if the sailor can identify himself, will he please come forward? And I looked at it and looked at it, and I knew it was me. I'm Greg Columbus with U.S. Navy veteran George Mendonca. This is Veterans Chronicles. is Veterans Chronicles. I'm Greg Columbus talking with George Mendonca, the sailor in the famed photo from VJ Day in Times Square. And later in this segment, we'll hear from the dental assistant he kissed, Greta Friedman. Sir, we were talking about discovering that you were in that famous photo. Please continue the story. So I approached Life magazine. So 
And Francis Sylvia, the guy that first spotted the pitch a few years before, well, he and I went down to New York to the Life Building, and I met with the people at Life, and I was very disappointed with them. They, I thought they were going to see the evidence a whole bit and identify me because I wanted the identity. But Life Magazine, they uh, they looked at the picture and they looked at the evidence I had, but until this day they haven't admitted yet that I was a sailor in that photo. Then, of course, the book came out not too long ago where they did a lot of research into who the two people were involved in that embrace. And so ultimately you ended up meeting Greta Friedman again. What was that like? Well, Life magazine, I feel as though that they knew it was me, but they never would admit it. And they haven't admitted it to this day that I'm the seller, that they know it. Well, anyway, Life Magazine asked me to come to New York <laughs> and that uh, that they were going to invite. There were six girls, I think, at that time that were claiming to be the nurse. And I told Life Magazine, I said, out of those six girls, I said, I can prove I'm the sailor in the photo. And I said, the girl that's getting all the credit, that she might be the nurse in the photo. I said, Christ, she's only a little tiny thing here. Her head would come up to my belly button. And I said, out of those girls that claim to be the nurse, there's only one girl that matches up to my height that kind of looks like her in the photo. So I told Life that it was Greta Freeman is the only girl out of that group that I would say is the nurse. So they contacted Greta to come to New York. So they tell me they had to, they were going to put Greta right down in the middle of Times Square and they're going to pick me up at the hotel. And they said to me, the chauffeur's going to bring you down into Times Square. And when you approach the girl, we're going to start filming you meeting her. Oh, I said, well, I don't know who she is. They said, well, we'll point her out to you when you get out of the cab. So I'm walking across Times Square, and they're all pointing at this girl standing in the middle there. So I walked up to her, and I grabbed her by the hand, and, of course, they're starting to film me meeting Greta Freeman. So when I walked up to Greta, I grabbed her by the hand, and I said something like, well, it's finally great after all these years to get to meet you. And, of course, I, I knew they expected me to grab her and kiss her. So I kissed her in Times Square, and I said, I have a, a film of me meeting Greta, uh, I guess it was 35 years afterwards. What is it like to be part of one of the most famous images in American history and certainly of the 20th century? Well, well, I was...
was glad it all happened. And, of course, the Life magazine, uh, they asked me to come to New York, and I proved, I proved to them that I was a sailor. I can prove. I haven't met a person yet that I can't convince that I am that sailor. I've got scars. I've got my rape. I got my height, and even my face. I got scars in my eyebrows. When life was ignoring me, I hired a lawyer to go after life, and we started a legal action against life. My lawyer got a hold of Richard Benson. His family is the f family that built the World War II Memorial down in Washington. They were stonecutters. So my lawyer got a hold of Benson, and Benson calls me to, to his house, and I'm explaining to Benson why I am that sailor. So after a while, Benson looked at me and he says, I want to look at your left arm. I said, there's nothing on the left arm. I said, my right arm is the one that shows in the photo. He says, I want to look at your left arm. So I look at my left arm and roll it over. And right there on the inside of the wrist, I got a growth. That I, I know I had this growth on my arm, but I didn't know that it showed in the photo. And, of course, Richard Benson, he's the dean of art and professor of photography at Yale University. He's probably a top photo man in the United States. So Richard Bentley turns my hand over, and there's sure the crazy there you are. And even today, I'm looking at it right now, the inside of my left arm. And then we looked at the picture, and there it is. So I've got a document signed by Richard Benson that, without a doubt, that I am the seller in that photo. Well, sir, we thank you so much for sharing your story, and we thank you very much also for your service to our country. We appreciate it very much. Okay, thank you. Thank you, George. We just heard from George Mendonca, the U.S. Navy veteran and the sailor in the famed photo from VJ Day in Times Square. Now we'll hear from the other figure in that photo, Greta Friedman. And Greta, we are thrilled to talk with you today. Uh, so you were working as a dental nurse uh, in, in 1945, how long had you been in that job? At least half a year, if not more. Okay. Had you lived in New York long, or were you also new to the city? No, I had lived in New York for a while. Okay. Yeah. And describe the mood in the city that day, perhaps even before you went to Times Square with the war being over. Well, it was a very... A very happy mood, very hopeful, because people had been deprived of seeing their own kids being drafted and in, in the war and worrying about them. And uh, when the news came through, I just, it was within walking distance of Times Square, I worked on Lexington Avenue if you know New York, and I, on my lunch hour, I thought, well, I've, I've got to go there. It's just, 
In fact, I think that any big news was always uh, broadcast on the Times building, uh, which went around in lights. As you walked closer and closer to the square, what did you notice? Well, lots of people were going in the same direction that I was going to find out what's going on. Because I was working in the dentist's office, and, and the patients would come in, and they would say, it looks like maybe the war's ending. So that, that was the best news that could have been going around. And I, I had to. I had to go to Times Square. How long? Go no ahead. choice. How long had you been there before the kiss happened? Not that long. I was looking up at the building. I did not see him approach, and that's what happened. And explain what he did. <laughs> He's a very strong man, and uh, I, I really couldn't get out of his uh, his strong. Uh, grip. Were you concerned at all? Not at all, no. You just knew it was a celebratory moment? Excuse me? You just knew it was a great moment of celebration, and that's what oh, he was... Oh, yes, definitely. That's what he was doing as well. How long did the kiss last? I don't know. It, it, was, it was longer than usual. You know, when you meet somebody you know, it's a what, a couple of seconds? It was longer than that. Did you have any idea at the time that people were no. taking pictures of it? No. no. What was your reaction when you saw it on the cover? I saw it the first time in, the, in a small book called The Eyes of Eisenstadt. And I immediately contacted Life magazine and uh, they were kind of, yeah, of course, it's got to be you. <laughs> sort of, they were kind of cynical because they figured lots of women would come along and proclaim that it was their picture. Did any other strangers try to kiss you that day? Well, I went back to the office. And my bosses, there were two brothers, said, okay, let's close the office. I'm going home. And I said, okay, that's great. So after they left, I did my usual uh, putting away of instruments and, and putting and neatening up the, the office and uh, changed my clothes into my regular clothing. And when I came out of the subway station, I think it could have been 91st Street, a young man in a uniform came over and kissed me gently on the cheek. And that was it. <laughs> well, how long was it between that day and when you met George again? Oh, that was quite a while. I'm sure. Years, many years, yeah. And, and your friends now? Well, he's a married man, <laughs> and uh, 
has a very nice wife. I like both of them very much. And uh, they have their own life, their own families nearby, so they're very lucky. You are the focal point of one of the most famous photographs of the 20th century. What is that like? Oh, it's, uh, I'm aware of it, and it's, it's just very, very lucky. Great, and great to be part of the celebratory moment at the end of the war. What, just one of the great moments of jubilation, right? Very much, very much, absolutely. If you had it to do over, would you do it again? Of course, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it was a fantastic event that we all had to be hoping and praying for, for the end of the war, and hoping that everybody would come home safely and life could go forward. Because a lot of us would have boyfriends, but then they would have to go back, back to the service that they were attached to. And so... It, it was just hoping that everybody could go back to living a normal life and not being anxious and worried about our friends that were in the service. Where was your boyfriend uh, serving? I didn't have a regular boyfriend then, uh -huh. just friends. Uh -huh. And uh, they, they were everywhere, wherever they had to be. Uh, in the in the army and navy, and uh, so we would hear from them uh, by mail. They were very good uh, about keeping in touch with their friends, the ones that were in the service, and uh, so we would hear from them occasionally when they were on leave. That sometimes we'd get to see them. And uh, it was always hello and goodbye because they, they were on the sh short leaves. They weren't on any long period of staying out of the service. Well, Greta, thank you so much uh, for your time today. We greatly appreciate it. It's been a big help for us. You're very welcome. Thank you for calling. Thank you, ma'am. Have a wonderful day. This has been Veterans Chronicles, produced by the American Veterans Center and the Radio America Network in Washington, D.C. Veterans Chronicles is available wherever you are. Download podcasts of previous shows at TuneIn.com or Apple iTunes, or subscribe to upcoming podcasts at RadioAmerica.com. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.